right-wing Perrottet picked as Premier in New South Wales, far-right protests against Australia in the US and Poland, and the good news is about forests in WA. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison, and joining me from the has been seemingly forever locked away is the great, the glorious, the reinterpreter of Animal Farm, Van Batum. How are you, Van? <laughs> Love of my life, Ben Davison. I miss you. I miss you too, darling. You know, I was just down the street before and one of our neighbours stopped me and said, oh, I've been listening to the week on Wednesday. Uh, really love the passion and I really like Van's new Twitter handle, Vax Batum. <laughs> I love vaccination. I'm such a fan. For those of you who don't know, and I'm amazed there would be anyone who didn't know because I talk about it all the time. When I was a little girl, my um, parents moved to a new suburb and we got a new GP. And that GP, as we worked out many years later, was an anti-vaxxer. And this, I'm so old, it was before the MMR vaccine, so you had to get um, your all your measles, mumps and rubella vaccines separately. And my mother was like, Van gets very distressed, you know, by the needles. And the doctor was like, oh, she doesn't need a vaccination at all. No, 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 no. Um, she'll be totally fine. And mum was like, the only one she hasn't had is measles. And, and I think she should probably get it. And, and the doctor was like, no, 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 you're totally fine. And, of course, I didn't get vaccinated for measles. And I got it when I was 17 and almost died. I was pyrexic and hallucinating. Uh, every part of my body was infected. I was vomiting and I was so weak that my mother called the hospital and the doctor came to our house and said, she's too ill to move. She's got a 50-50 chance of surviving the night and the physical stress of putting her into an ambulance would probably kill her. So you can imagine, given the unfair guilt that my mother has lived with ever since because of an anti-vax doctor and because of the horrendous damage done to my human body by the lack of that vaccination uh, because those of you who don't know if you get measles it cancels out all your other immunities so after being 17 and getting measles I got chickenpox and rubella and mumps and what's the other one I got everything whooping cough that was a great one to have when you were 21 Mm. And I was just incredibly sick and my education suffered and some of the best years of my life were spent with just these horrendous avoidable illnesses. So so I'm pretty pro-vaccination, you could say. I think vaccination's great. Yeah. I think if you can solve a problem before you know, you almost die of an entirely preventable illness that maybe you should solve that problem. So I'd like to say big shout out to the anti-vax lunatics uh, and active advocating members of what is apparently a death cult who have been harassing me on Facebook uh, the past couple of days. I, um, I, really, I really do genuinely pray for you because you are making yourself very vulnerable to something I genuinely do not think that you want and because you don't want to believe in it does not mean it is not true. So, dear anti-vaxxers, hassling me is not going to make you any safer from the virus. In fact, if you're spending energy hassling women you don't know on the internet rather than getting vaccinated, unfortunately I think you're compounding your vulnerabilities. And I, I do hope that if you're listening to this podcast in order to stalk me or harass me or whatever else is important to you at the moment, then maybe you take a bit of a walk, get some fresh air and uh, have a good hard look at yourself. 
Well, there will be some more discussion about uh, vaccines because there's been some developments overseas that relate to how Australia is dealing with COVID-19 that I want to talk about shortly. But Van, you you talked about praying for the anti-vaxxers and I wonder if today you might be joining those prayers by the new right-wing Premier of New South Wales, Dominic Dom Perrottet, who is himself a very right-wing Catholic uh, who, you know, I would imagine says da- says daily prayers. Yes, and, you know, I've, I've got to ask, as a Catholic myself, Dom, which book did you read? Because it's it's very interesting to sort of pore over the uh, public statements of um, Dom's professed faith and, uh, and note the bits that he's picked out to follow. So apparently our new Premier is against contraception. Uh, which is very interesting. Um, He thinks that anyone who supports the right of a woman to determine her own reproductive health care is on, and I quote, the wrong side of history. That's an interesting one. That's an interesting position. Yeah. Yeah, uh, He also um, believes in his own right to decide for himself what gender people are. Apparently Dom is the expert on your gender people. Um, You're not actually allowed to identify yourself um, according to who you are. Um, He's more important than you, everyone. Just note that one down. Youngest Premier in New South Wales history, Van. You know, you must know something about other people's genders, surely. Um, And then, of course, uh, he doesn't support uh, the equal human rights of marriage equality. Um, he uh, I, would he forcibly divorce your parents? I, I don't know. I just yeah. I don't know how far this stuff goes with him. Um, and I think personally, as a Catholic, the real clincher for me about how um, Dom and I perhaps don't share the same values that certainly I inferred from my Catholic instruction, which was to be a good person, uh, to support. Uh, every campaign against cruelty to fight for justice. Like they are the tenets of my Catholic faith is the focus on Catholic social justice teaching. I think that as a politician making statements saying that if you are aware that a child is being sexually abused or a woman is being beaten or other crimes of cruelty are being committed against people, that if you're a priest, somehow you have no obligation to inform the law that that's taking place, well, I see that as immoral and inhumane. I think um, advocating a legal system that protects the perpetrators of abuse from justice is really problematic. And I'm trying to comprehend in a country where it was our faith community who suffered the abuses of those people, who had our trust as a community betrayed, whose family members and friends and and were victimised, abused, subject to cruelty to the most unbelievable extent. I am trying to understand how in the wake of 
every revelation and the courageous campaigns for justice fought by people within the Catholic community for accountability from the institution. I am trying to understand how you could watch that victimisation and think that was okay and and demand that you get the identity as being more moral or more holy than anybody else. I just find him shameful and it's really important, and I say this to every other person who's from a Catholic community, to articulate an identity that is based on justice and against cruelty and for courage and supports the families who are living in the wake of the most disgusting betrayal imaginable and to speak out against how Dom Perrottet has appointed himself to speak for the rest of us. Hear, hear, Van. Hear, hear. You know, as many people who are listening will be aware, I grew up in Ballarat, and as many of you will be aware, Ballarat was an epicenter of abuse by people within the Catholic Church against people of the Catholic faith. Ballarat has a number of Catholic schools, low-fee schools, uh, a number of Catholic churches, and it's been an ongoing trauma for our community in Ballarat. I'm not myself a Catholic, but I can tell you it extends beyond any particular religion when it impacts a whole community, as it does. So to have the new Premier of New South Wales defend the, the protections for priests not reporting, not reporting sexual abuse seems totally and utterly disgusting. And frankly, when you consider the fact that Gladys Berejiklian has resigned as Premier, ostensibly because she has failed to report a reasonable suspicion of corrupt conduct by someone in her government, and ICAC is now investigating that, it seems that more than ever we need to put a positive obligation on people in positions of power and authority and control over others to report abuses, whether they be corruption, sexual abuses, physical violence, or any other form of harm against people or our community. So hopefully Dom Perrette has a road to Damascus moment on that issue. But it's interesting, Van, because he really has said some pretty outrageous things now, he is 39 years old, and some people say, oh, he said that when he was younger. Well, when he was younger seems like yesterday because some of the things he's talked about in terms of climate change programs being, and I quote, a gratuitous waste and a religious devotion of the left were said while he was in parliament. He said that the welfare state was acting as a substitute for the family and increasing rates of divorce. And he called Trump's election the start of a conservative spring, of course, drawing on the uh, Arab spring uh, that, that oversaw the, the, the downfall of dictators uh, across the Middle East uh, earlier in the, when, when, when was that? That was 2014, was it? Um, um, maybe. Yeah, so earlier, earlier there. Now, the... This is a very conservative, ultra-conservative right-winger who has really trashed the welfare state 
At the same time, it has to be said, has demanded money from the federal government for COVID relief and got it, uh, and got it, and has cut uh, payroll taxes and stamp duty and done all the kind of fiscally conservative things you might expect. At the same time, and I think this is important, he during the pandemic, he has cut the wages of public sector workers, so nurses, paramedics, uh, we're talking about teachers, we're talking about uh, other healthcare staff, we're talking about people in, in crisis uh, counselling positions. Uh, he cut their wages by 1% in November, so during the pandemic. Now, this was slammed rightly so by Unions New South Wales, by the Australian Services Union, by the Public Sector Association, by, uh, by the Nursing Federation, uh, by every union out there. And, and this, again, folks, comes back to one of the reasons why I think it's so important to be in your union. The unions have vowed to fight against these cuts to wages uh, and, you know, you can join that struggle at australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W, and, of course, he's also overseen a massive increase in the use of labour hire and insecurity in the public sector as Treasurer and as Minister for Finance. And, again, the union movement has a campaign to make jobs more secure. So, you know, I get the impression that the new Premier of New South Wales, the right-wing Mr Perrottet, is going to really start to run into some pretty significant opposition here. It seems like he's put offside anyone who believes that they need to have action on climate change, anyone who believes in reform of the Catholic Church, anyone who believes that people deserve to have dignity rather than poverty if they are a single parent or have a disability or require access to, quote-unquote, the welfare state, anyone who's ever had to uh, make use of an abortion service, uh, anyone who works in the public sector, like this is this is an interesting character to pick. Anyone who's LGBTQIA, anyone Absolutely. who uses contraception. Absolutely. Like, a- what does that mean? How can you possibly stand in front of the people of New South Wales and go, well, you know, I'm taking this medieval outlook on <laughs> sexual behaviour. Like, you know what I mean? Like he yeah. might as well be telling us, like, well, what, there's, an interesting, is, there's an interesting. Has anyone clip. asked him about witch burning and how he feels about sorcery? <laughs> I'm sure he's pro like, burning, anti sorcery. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's pro burning, anti sorcery. Like it's just, oh, I don't, you know, like he doesn't. There's an support. interesting clip going around uh, on Twitter with uh, our dear friend Sam Dastiari, uh, and it's interesting too how many uh, Labor identities, if I can put them that way. Uh, have indicated they went to uni with Dom Perrottet and, you know, went drinking with Dom Perrottet and spent this time with Dom Perrottet because Sam Dastiari in this clip, which is from an interview he did on radio, uh, talks about how Dom Perrottet at the time um, didn't believe in masturbation, Um, didn't just didn't believe in it, didn't believe in it. I'm not sure it's the sort of thing you get to believe or not believe in. I mean, it's the sort of thing you get to do or not do, I guess, but it was put across that he didn't believe in it. Like, it is a very medieval kind of view of the world, isn't it? Yeah. 
in a clocks are the devil's business kind of way, which I find a bit, I just find all of it disturbing. I find it disturbing that he's only a year older than you. Like yeah. I'm just, I can't quite square that. And I think, and you and I have had this discussion about what Dom Perrottet represents in terms of a movement within the Liberal Party and that there are other people in the Liberal Party or the Liberal National, you know, diffusion brand in Queensland um, that uh, that represent this kind of sort of aggressive ultra-political conservatism and why that exists and why you would be so public. I mean, this is what I can't get my head around, that you would stand up in front of not just the electors in your safe Liberal seat but the people of New South Wales and go, yeah, I believe in protecting pedophiles who confess their crimes to priests and, yeah, I I think contraception is wrong and masturbation is, you know, the devil dancing or, or, yeah, yeah, women shouldn't have reproductive rights. Yeah, cancel the same-sex marriages. You know what I mean? Like I'm just like how on earth do you think that's going to fly with people? Like... 90% of Australians support the right to abortion, 90%. It's one of the most shared social values in this country that it's between uh, like a woman and their doctor and that's it. Like that's as far as it goes for the overwhelming majority of people. And so how could you possibly insist that you were representative by publicly advocating those views? And the discussion that you and I had while we were trying desperately to sort this out, especially like in Sydney, yeah. like where the single largest like public event is the Mardi Gras and the festivals that run around Mardi Gras. Yeah. I'm just like, so there is a massive parade that involves literally millions of people and generates just phenomenal amounts of income for the for the state and for the city of Sydney in particular. And and you think none of those people participating in that massive event deserve equal human rights to you because you're cishet. Like I'm just, as a political calculus, it seems a bit strange. But what you and I were discussing when we were talking about the the program was that those sort of retrograde attitudes that exist, particularly in older generations associated with factions within the Liberal and National Parties, like people from mm. uh, who are still alive, I mean people live a long time now, who yeah. are still pre-selectors or, you know, party power brokers or donors who hold those kind of retrograde views, that they're, if you were young and ambitious and you know, just wanted to get ahead as fast as possible, say be Premier of New South Wales by the age of 39 or perhaps youngest, get a safe Senate seat in Queensland. Youngest or maybe, Premier ever. Youngest yeah, Premier ever youngest in premier ever. New South Wales. Yeah, or perhaps to get a really safe Liberal seat that would enable you to climb up the greasy pole of, say, Cabinet selections and be part of an internal power grouping that would always protect you in um, the federal party. Like just say you're from one of those backgrounds. There would be a lot in it for you as an individual. I mean, let's remember the Liberal Party is not about a collective project. It's about the ambitions of several individuals and their personal grade. And you would go, well, 
all of this stuff is kind of ridiculous, but there's a group of pre-selectors and electors and donors who are invested in it and I can use their this window to rise very quickly by being that young person who parrots those views and they will see me as a, as a legacy. So while the rest of the world is changing around me, while like, you know, you have Mormon relatives who came to your parents' wedding, like yeah. Yeah. the community moves on and they came and they participated in the ceremony despite the position of the Mormon church on marriage equality, like these bonds between people are actually stronger than negative propaganda. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, and like. And it's interesting to watch him now suggesting that he's going to be more conciliatory and the things that he said he said when he was younger, you know, but it is it is that point, isn't it, you know, that there are, if you step onto any university campus in the country, almost any university campus in the country, you'll find a lot of people jostling on the left side of the political spectrum for position and very few people jostling for um, political position on the right side of the political spectrum. And the things that are said are quite extreme. And really when you look at uh, the right-wing Peritea positions, they read like the sorts of things a student politician might say to prove their bona fides, except they're being said by someone who at the time was a minister. And it does have a certain it has a certain stench to it, a certain sniff that that feels like here's a guy who has put ambition ahead of reality, certainly, but possibly even ahead of what he believes. Now, I don't doubt that he is a devout Catholic and he believes to some degree everything that he has said. He certainly uh, prays to a God of his own understanding, let me tell you. Yeah, but I do wonder how much of the things he has said he he would uh, hold as true belief because he's already walking away from it, right? Like now that he's Premier... He understands the point that you and I have made, which is New South Wales is not a deeply conservative state. It's not as progressive a state as, say, Victoria, but it's not a deeply conservative state. And if he wants to be Premier uh, this time in 2023, he's going to have to convince a whole bunch of people that at the moment you would suggest are probably not on side that he represents them and can do well for them. I just, you know, and there are things here too, Van. I want to get into some of the detail here, right? Because there's a lot of like, who is who is Dom Perrottet? What is he about? People can read lots about that. In this show, we like to get underneath the hood, right? And there's a couple of big things that I think are important for people to remember about the new Premier of New South Wales, Australia's largest, most populous and biggest economic state. He has overseen the privatisation of West Connects, right? And the M4 and the M5 East and M5 Southeast to Transurban, which is a major Liberal Party donor, for $9.3 billion. Now, the conversation did an investigative piece on this that valued the what West Connects was buying and all the incentives and the cash and the infrastructure and the rebates and all the rest of it at $23 billion. 
right? This basically meant that the state of New South Wales, for every dollar it has spent on the West Connex pro- project, was getting 34 cents back through the privatisation. Now, this is a huge, this is a huge boondoggle. The, the conversation called it the biggest waste of public funds for corporate gain in Australian history. And given that we've just come off the back of the JobKeeper rorts, that's a pretty big call. Now, Don Perrottet is now Premier. He was Treasurer when all this was being set up. He will be the Premier who seals this deal. And he has called privatisation the golden key for New South Wales. I've got to say, at 34 cents in the dollar, it feels less like the golden key and more like the lead weight. How How... If you got thirty-four cents back for every dollar you invested in crypto, you would know you were a crypto loser. Like, yeah, right. It's just you wouldn't you wouldn't gamble a thousand dollars on Bitcoin to take out three hundred and forty. Well, and yet, they're, they're twenty-three billion to get back nine point three. And at the same time, it's got to be said, the people of New South Wales will pay tolls on these roads. Thousands of dollars in tolls. Like if you're if you're using these roads to commute to work every day, somebody's put the estimate at over ten thousand dollars a year just to get to and from work. I'm so I, angry. I'm I'm sorry, everyone. I'm just so angry. Like because as you know, I'm in New South Wales at the moment, and the ineptitude, the corruption, the disdain, like it's it's literally unbearable. Like, as a Victorian, you're just used to a higher standard. And it's got to the point in our house, like, as people know, um, my mother has a cancer diagnosis. Um, She's in a lot of pain. We're doing our best. She potters around. We get through it day to day. But my mother has started watching the Victorian presses about coronavirus because they're kinder and calmer and more reassuring than the New South Wales coronavirus presses. And I'm just like... And that's where our numbers going up. It is relentless, just absolutely relentless. Like the whole Gladys Berejiklian thing and this insistence of Murdoch newspapers, the Gladys Berejiklian was some kind of saint. And I was talking about this on Twitter the other day. Like she's she is being investigated for corruption and she has stood aside. She has resigned from the parliament, not just as Premier, but from the parliament, her mm. seat will be going to a by-election, which genuinely is not just waiting it out or saying I will answer questions, I do not wish to attract controversy to my party or my government at this time. That's not what's going on. She's out. Yeah, and she's gone. that's a big deal because people who don't understand who how ICAC works, ICAC has no power to prosecute anybody. That's not the function of ICAC. Like she's not, she's not in a dock that could convict her in that particular forum. ICAC has an investigative role when allegations only become public when they are serious, right? If they're not, they, there's a whole preliminary process that yeah. goes on before anybody hears about these things. And on the basis of those investigations, then courts can prosecute, if yeah. there's, you know, if they have a reasonable case to do so. Like it's a, it's a very it's a very um, 
very solid process and why ICAC is so precious. And it has been extraordinary to watch people like Barnaby Joyce kill Supreme. Morrison. Say things and Morrison, oh, well, you know, ICAC's just gone too far. Oh, ICAC. Oh. Well, the problem is ICAC here. Oh, Gladys is above suspicion. In fact, we'd like to run her against Zali Stegel in Warringah. Like this yeah. has been legitimately suggested by people. This is a person who has resigned from parliament facing corruption allegations. Like it is it is extraordinary, especially when you know, when you have the knowledge that a lot of the people who are going, oh, poor Gladys, let's destroy ICAC, are people who both Gladys Berejiklian, her party comrades from yeah. different factions who have attempted to undermine and destroy her leadership because she's from the moderate faction for years. And we know that. We know that there were moves to roll her as Premier long before this happened. We know that. And yet these are the same factions and spokespeople who are now, you know, the great Gladys defenders. And I just want people to be aware this is entirely about destroying ICAC. It is also about providing Scott Morrison an excuse for why the promised National Integrity Commission, which was the federal ICAC, that he promised Australians he would deliver more than a 1,000 days ago and has done nothing about, it's all about going, oh, well, you know, well, ICAC, I mean, it destroyed Gladys. It's gone too far. It's overreach, you know. Do we really want to bring this into Parliament? It's like, well, yeah, because I have questions about why Barnaby, at the moment Barnaby Joyce was like, oh, yeah, ICAC's got to go, immediately made me think, well, what are you hiding, Barnaby? Like, why are you terrified of transparency? And we know why they're terrified of transparency, and you can generally condense it to a two-word concept, and it's Angus Taylor. You know, it's like Glassgate, Watergate. It goes on and on and on and on. The rorts, the selling public assets to friends, you know, that airport deal where they sold land for $3 million, bought it for $30 million when it was worth $3 million. Like again and again and again, we see this absolute pigs at the trough, fat cat behaviour, and I don't mean to be anti-animalist or speciesist. I'm just (laughs) using the terms familiar in the vernacular and I do genuinely apologise to both pigs and cats for using those terms. But it's an attack on ICAC people. It's an attack on the accountability mechanisms we have. And they're doing it too because it it also seems possible that the new Premier (laughs) will will have potentially some ICAC questions of his own. So, you know, the reason to undermine ICAC is because you want to get away with corruption or you suspect that you might want to get away with corruption in the future uh, or you're worried that your boy is going to get pulled up for corruption, right? Now, people will will remember, hopefully will remember uh, the Four Corners, I think it was a Four Corners expose on ICARE, which is the New South Wales government workers' compensation scheme. This is this is a, this is designed to help injured workers pay their bills, get back on their feet, get back into the workforce, right? And Dom Perrottet is as treasurer and as finance minister and all sorts of roles has had oversight of this, and people will remember the investigation by Four Corners that found eye care was not paying people, uh, that there was uh, 52,000 people who had been underpaid some $80 million. Uh, this is a huge, huge. Peritzer says, oh, it's not as bad as that. It's not as bad as that. At the same time, they uncovered that there were 422 contracts 
worth over $150,000 each, some in the millions that hadn't been registered, including an $8 million contract to a recruitment firm that had employed a former Liberal minister and a major Liberal Party donor. And another contract worth millions of dollars uh, that was that was given to a company uh, in a period of time where they donated $100,000 to the Liberal Party in New South Wales. This is an extraordinary, extraordinary situation. The CEO of iCare resigned in the end because it turned out he'd also contracted his wife to do work. There, there were a series of resignations. Nothing sus. Nothing yeah. sus. Series of resignations from the board. There was also iCare were paying for two staff in Dom Perrottet's office. Dom Perrottet had two staff in his office paid for by iCare, an organisation that he was the minister in charge of that was giving contracts to Liberal Party donors and not declaring them. That's, they're all statements of fact. I just don't know if I can handle this level of anger today, frankly. Ben, I'm just going to put it out there. I feel I feel like a joke or a song would be great if anybody wants to send some funny memes to cheer me up because I'm I'm sorry kind to of angry. Now, but, but I'm gonna I'm gonna push on because one of the people and this is this this leads into our second topic, right? Oh my because God. one of the people in the right wing Dom Perrottet, then Treasurer, now Premier of New South Wales's office, who was being paid for by iCare, the government enterprise that Dom Perrottet was had oversight of, that was giving contracts, multi-million dollar contracts to Liberal Party donors and not declaring them. One of those people was a former US Republican Party, and I quote, operative. <laughs> now... <laughs> Don Perrottet claimed at the time to have no knowledge of any of this. Oh, of course not. And the end result was that uh, his chief of staff at the time resigned. He was too busy trying to deny your parents human rights. I mean, that's what was going on. But this also comes back to the to the point that we're going to get to in the in our next discussion, right? That avoiding have, contraception is time consuming. Yes. Well, that. Not only not only is there a stench around that whole eye care situation, and by the way, fifty two thousand injured workers, fifty two thousand injured people in New South Wales, fifty two thousand injured Australians who were denied the money that was due to them, that in itself should have been enough for the minister to lose his job. Instead, of course, we see as we so often see with the Liberal Party, incompetence is rewarded and in this case rewarded with the top job. But why is there a US Republican Party operative working in the Treasurer of New South Wales's office being paid for by a government-run organisation? This is... Gee, I don't know, Ben. Gosh, what an extraordinary set of coincidences. I'm sure he was just a really nice guy and people just thought he had the skills, insight and experiences as a, as a human being to just get that job. 
Like there would be literally no context beyond that, like certainly not information sharing between two of the most nefarious, self-involved, corrupt political movements in the English-speaking West. I mean, that couldn't happen. <laughs> no, well, I think, Van, maybe maybe your sarcasm notwithstanding, you're onto something there, right? Sarcasm? <laughs> because there, we've talked about it before. We talked about it a couple of weeks on this show couple of weeks ago on this show. Am I yearning for a principled centre-right just so democracy keeps functioning? Yeah, because we've had This is literally, here. this is the point that I'm at. I'm just like, look, if you're listening to this show and you're a Liberal voter, I mean, it could happen. Can sure. you do something, guys? Like, does this, this is my question, does this really represent your beliefs? Your centre-right, sort of pro-free enterprise, bit less red tape, bit less government regular. Like, are these the guys, does this look like, you know, a small state to you? What fatuous appointments of party operatives at public expense? Is that really how you describe yourself as a fiscal conservative? What about your liberal, small L liberal beliefs? Are you particularly comfortable with a Premier who campaigns against equal human rights and thinks they have the right to identify for themselves what other people's genders are? Like, do you does that sit with you? Van, like, what I'm, is going on? Van, like, what I'm, is going on? Van, I'm, exactly. I really want to. I really want to focus in on this U.S. Republican Party connection because the other thing that's happened in the last few days is there have been protests in the U.S. and in Poland uh, at U- at Australian consulates about how how Australia's handled the COVID situation. Right now, we're not hearing a lot about foreign media issues in Australia at the moment because we've got so much of our own media to consume. And the reality is we are in a a position where we have had far fewer deaths from COVID than the US or the UK or almost any other OECD country, with the exception perhaps of New Zealand. And that's a very good thing. That's something that we should be very proud of as a country. But there is a movement of far-right agitators, predominantly in the US, but also some in Europe, who are trying to undermine our COVID success. And we saw, uh, in just in the last few days, a small band of protesters march from the Department of Education in Brooklyn, New York, to the Australian consulate in Manhattan. Now, New York has brought in a vaccine mandate for teachers, not dissimilar to the essential worker mandate that has come into place in Victoria. 96% of people in the education, employed by the education department in New York, have complied. Uh, and you know, when I say 96%, that means tens of thousands. You know, New York's New, New York's population is about the population of Australia, right? Like yeah. we're talking huge numbers of people have complied. And around 6,000 people in total have said they're not going to do it and they're either going to go on unpaid leave or, or get paid out. But, and I'm going to come to you in a second because this isn't this isn't just a one-off thing. These people were waving Save Australia placards and Australia has fallen placards. And, you know, at the same time in the, in the last few days, we've seen some far-right MPs, members of parliament in Poland, protest outside our consulate as well. And that was picked up uh, and shared around by Rod Cullerton. Now, if that name sounds familiar, Rod Cullerton was a One Nation senator from WA for about seven minutes 
before it was discovered he was a bankrupt and ineligible to sit. He quit One Nation. He tried to sit as an independent. He start he started his own party. I'm not going to name it here because his Facebook page has 95,000 followers, and he has pushed this video about these far right MPs in Poland talking about the need to free Australia. Yeah, they're using a hashtag. They're, it is completely creepy what's going on. I'd just like to point out just again, I was right. I mean, I do these literally are my favourite words, I was right, although I always hate saying them because it's generally after a period of people going, oh, man, you're so wrong. And it's like, look, I've been embedded in the crazy loon wand community online for the past year studying these people for my upcoming book Q and on and on which comes out really soon very exciting except incredibly disturbing and i've been watching this for months they they are using australia as theater as genuine theater for audiences in the united states who are watching right-wing media i see these videos all the time of these incidents that are filmed and cut and shot in a certain way and repackaged and then pumped out by these, you know, media hosts who have Facebook live shows with hundreds of thousands of, you know, death cult members who follow them. And I just want to be really clear about about the the level of foreign influence that's going on here. We know, because Ben and I have been saying this on the program for weeks, that the anti-lockdown protests were internationally coordinated specifically by far-right group in Germany. There is a data trail. People know that this is happening. These are established facts. Yeah. And I want to put into context the, like, it's just it's extraordinary that you have this this mob in in New York who have been whipped up into such a state by a sealed media environment that they live in on Facebook and Telegram and you know Gab and the other places where they hang out online Getter, which is just unbelievable, where hope goes to die. You know they they believe these sort of self appointed Facebook Live programs, these sort of like conspiracy television is probably the best way of describing them because they want to believe them and they attach to these narratives. And simply because Australians speak English and are culturally similar to them, they've they've deliberately created this fiction using the like death cult mobs who are urinating on the war memorial in Melbourne as, you know, these emblematic freedom fighters and whatever. I want you, I want to put into context where these propaganda narratives about vaccines end up. And our friend James Rains did crunch some numbers and did a very revealing tweet the other day about comparing Victoria in Australia with lockdown and all of our anti-COVID measures compared to the state of Tennessee, which is in the American South, where you know where the culture is Republican, they you know overwhelmingly red districts voted for Trump, and let's let's compare the Australian, the Victorian, specifically Victorian public health response to that in Tennessee. So the population of Victoria is six point six eight million people, and yeah. the population of Tennessee is six point nine one million people. So they're very Slightly close, more. the same size, slightly bigger in Tennessee. We've had, as of the 4th of October, 41,128 cases of coronavirus, which is, you know, terrifying, agonising for all those families. In Tennessee, they've had 1.2 million cases of coronavirus, 1.2 million compared to 41,128. In terms of deaths, as of the 4th of October, there were, there were 869 deaths in Victoria. Every single one of them a tragedy. Absolutely. In Tennessee, no less tragic, 
but on a much larger scale, they have had 15,082 oh deaths. Right? That's of the 4th of October. And as somebody else um, pointed out on Twitter, crunching the numbers and looking at the the stats, going to another website to look at rates of infection and calculate those numbers, you are 16 to 18 times more likely to die of coronavirus in Tennessee than you are of um, coronavirus in Victoria. That's 16 to 18 times more likely because that's the result of these culture campaigns, these death cult campaigns against vaccination, against mask mandates, against lockdowns, against social distancing regulations. Like that's it, the cost. And it and it seems as though in America they're just going to continue on, right? Because you've just talked about Tennessee. Let's, you know, I want to talk about Florida as well because Ron DeSantis, who's the Republican governor of Florida, has called the Australian COVID response off the rails uh, and yet Florida's had 3.6 million cases and 54,000 deaths from COVID. You know, Australia in total has had less than 1,300. It, it, you know, the, the same time where some, he's encouraged Republican lawmakers in Washington to call for sanctions against Australia over our, our response to COVID. Bring it you, on, Ron. Bring it got, on. You've got Tucker Carlson going on Fox News, calling the, the riots that happened in Melbourne peaceful and said that we should be cracking down, and I quote, cracking down on Islamic extremists and dangerous revolutionaries in our, and I quote again, midst. You've got uh, Joe Rogan just telling nonsense lies about people being surveilled by helicopter. Like there are organisations sharing images about Australia being a prison. Like we have really become a lightning rod that's being used by the far right in America for a kind of culture war that that's killing its own people. It's literally they are a death cult, death cult. You know, advocating against vaccines in the middle of a pandemic is death cult behaviour. You know, sending children to school without masks and insisting that your children will not be masked is death cult behaviour. What kind of person sends their children into harm's way? Like, this is what I just cannot get over. How is this happening? And it's happening because the will to believe and the sense of a need for cultural identity and this obsession of these people to play maverick or rebel and, and believe what it what it says on the slogans they wear on their T-shirt, you know, don't tread on me, live free or die, you know, like live free or die. Well, look, that's going in one direction and it's not live free, buddy. That's not what's happening. Yeah. Children are dying. Like children are dying in the United States. There are entire children's boards that are full of children with coronavirus. And speaking of those people in Melbourne, and I use the word people with a lot of effort, it is difficult to retain a belief in their humanity at this point. These people called themselves patriots and urinated on the war memorial. I cannot think of a symbolic action that is less patriotic you know, if well, there is one value that determines, like, 
a love of community and dedication to the preservation of the local, surely it is dying for your country and they urinated on it. Like it is it is absolutely stunning. It is stunning to me. And yeah, I it just is a, it is a really deeply disturbing, deeply disturbing position for us to be in as a nation. And particularly, you know, when I come back to that point around a former US Republican Party operative being in Dom Perite's office, you know, being paid for by ostensibly a third party that Dom Perite still had power over, you know, these are these are the sorts of things that happen when you are undermining a democracy from within. We're seeing that happen in the US. The, the, those, those riots in Melbourne, they urinated on the War Memorial, they urinated on the eight-hour monument, which is one of the greatest achievements and most iconically of Australian. Australian people. Yeah, most <laughs> iconically Australian achievements that we fought for an eight-hour day Eight hours work, eight hours rest, eight hours to do with as we will, and yet they denigrated all of those things. The in the in the name of what freedom, an American, an American sense of freedom to what not wear a mask, the freedom to what make your friends and family sick, the freedom to make your children sick. Yeah, the freedom, the freedom to, to expose sickness. your children to a lethal virus. Freedom. It's, it's it's bizarre, but at the same time, it comes back to, and we've discussed it before, right? You know, when people are feeling insecure, when people don't have connection to community, they look for these kinds of cultural markers to, to give themselves connection, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm so really pleased that the Australian Union movement are running a campaign about job security and secure jobs because job security gives people the capacity to engage in community, to engage each other in how their work happens, but also to know that they're going to have paid time off. If they get sick, they don't have to lose their job. They can do things in their spare time other than hustle and get a side gig and participate in the gig economy just in case something goes wrong. We don't want to lose the house. They can participate in community. They can do community things, sport, theatre, whatever it might be. I know you hate amateur drama, but I'd rather I'd rather sit. Amateur through. drama puts theatre workers out of work, Ben. Look, I well, I I would I would hope <laughs> we that have this would, we have this discussion a lot. I'm a union girl, Ben. I'm a I union girl. That, but we're ben, a highly unionised industry. I, would, I just I want to point out to everybody that theatre workers have some of Australian theatre workers have some of the best conditions of theatre workers anywhere in the world, and it's because our union density, which is the proportion of workers in the industry who are union members, is super high. My solidarity is with every mayor member, every single mayor member, a As union is. I'm very proud to be part of, and we have good conditions because we were united and we fought for them. So be like a theatre worker, join your union. Absolutely. Absolutely, every time, every time. And look, I would rather sit through a thousand school plays than have to see another Australian needlessly die from COVID. You know, and and ultimately, what 
we're talking about here is how do we connect people to culture? And the union movement is such an important part of that. And that's part of the reason why these people, these these you know, agitators from the far right. Foreign influenced death cult members. Get people to target unions, whether it's the non-union office or union monument or the trades hall. You know, it's about undermining the opposing sense of community and the opposing sense of uh, of cultural values, isn't it? That's why yeah, they do and, it. and I want to remind people why they're feeling so emboldened. So I have been getting all of this abuse online in the past three days. And, again, if you're listening to my podcast in order to stalk me, I want you to know I have faced much bigger monsters than this, friends. Like for me to have survived this long as a feminist with a guardian column means that I've, I've – I think I'm pretty inured to what you can do to me on the internet at this point. So and you'd last five minutes being me, frankly, guys. But um, I just want to make the point that the reason why they're so emboldened, abusing people on Facebook and doing these hilarious raids of pages, some of whom it's very interesting, turn up at 3 o'clock in the morning and yeah. all have Russian names, which is which is intriguing. I mean, sometimes, you know, you just get together as a community, I guess. But um but not particularly good local knowledge either, but moving on, um, like one of the reasons they feel so emboldened is because the vast majority of the community, the overwhelming thumping majority of the community are doing the right thing and staying at home because they're not members of a death cult and do not want to get coronavirus. They're doing everything they can to protect themselves and their families and their community and their country. Like that's what we're all doing. Because yeah. let's face it, you and I have been part of these actions. When these boneheads usually turn up in Melbourne for a bit of, you know, saber rattling and like fash friendly outdoor dancing or whatever it is they think they're doing, thousands and thousands of people in <laughs> Melbourne, yeah. the most incredible diversity of human beings turn up and encircle them until they get frightened and run away. Like the standard response to these boneheads typically is a mass uprising of counter-protesters who overwhelm them with numbers and then they go home. So I've participated in those actions. You've participated in those actions. It's, it's very much fascist go home kind of stuff. But because of the lockdowns, they think they own the streets. Like they're looking around like, you know, all 500 of them going, yeah, we rule, I'm king of Melbourne, I'm going to urinate in the war memorial because I'm a man, yeah. And we should be really like we should be really clear here because, you know, we, we obviously know many people in Melbourne and I was told a story um, by a, a very trusted friend of ours uh, about a uh, a cafe owner who, when those riots were happening, this is a cafe owner who's got a little rainbow ally flag in their window. They've got some union stickers in their window. You know, they're a, they're a good employer by all accounts, um, uh, but they were effectively in the path of this mob uh, and they were menaced. They were menaced and menaced to the point where the cafe owner's called people they knew in the union movement to say, is there anything you can do to help us? Uh, and people went there to just to stand with them in solidarity. Uh, the police came by and after the police left, these these far-right foreign agitators again showed up and they had to close their cafe because not only, not only were they getting no business because they were essentially being menaced by these people, they were also being menaced by these people, 
you know, these are not. And yet these people turn up on my Facebook page and go, lockdowns are killing business. And it's like, well, I, I guess you've got that. something in common with lockdown then. Yeah, hmm. they don't care about that. They, these of course not, they don't. They got no, these are not people who care about small business in their community. There might be some small business, former small business people in these groups, failed small business people, often looking for a sense of purpose and community, having failed at something they thought they would that would make them a millionaire, realizing that it was actually really hard to run a small business and lost their money. You know, but it's a it's a movement of the disenfranchised, the disengaged, the disinterested, and and it's it's wound up by foreign propagandists. Yeah, and- it's people who are being totally wound up. And the I mean the propaganda is hideous. I really want you all to read my book. If you like this podcast, I want you to read my book because I use heaps and heaps and heaps of examples of how this stuff works and the way that they trigger people and who they target and the rest of it. So we've ended up with this phenomenon of these people who don't, who so desperately want to be part of this, you know, fake cultural heroism that they shred their families, abandon their friends and become these like miserable and unhappy, angry, frightened, you know, like street menaces. And that's what happens. That's the trajectory of these people. And this is something we've got to be really aware of in Australia because it's Australia is not like America and we have a system of government that has all kinds of checks and balances to save us from these people. And, you know, this is why never trust somebody who's against, you know, like universal enfranchisement or what we call compulsory voting because while we have a system that obliges every Australian to vote, it means that extremists can't gain political footholds because they can't intimidate people out of voting. They can't engage in voter suppression the way that they do in parts of the United States. They absolutely do that. And I'd like to acknowledge some of our American comrades um, who've been in contact with us talking about how serious the issue of voter suppression is in the United States because these communities of people, these extremists, the death cultists, they don't have the numbers to win. Like they don't have the numbers no. to win in a democracy. Democracy is about majorities. And frankly, the majority of people anywhere do not want to be members of a death cult. So the only way that they sort of prosper in terms of imposing their values in other people is to get rid of democracy. And you can see them doing it in the United States. That's their mission now. Well, that can't happen in Australia because we have laws that oblige everybody to vote. That is actually about our protection. That's about all of us having a guaranteed right for a ballot box to be available. And if you want to write, you know, all the candidates and knobs, you can do that in Australia. It's a secret ballot. You can write what you like. You can exercise the right for a candidate or not, but you have to turn up. And having to turn up means that the government, the Australian Electoral Commission, has to make sure, has to, that there are ballot boxes, mail-in voting, you know, early voting, that accessibility is their obligation under law. And it means that these people stay in the narrow fringes of the population and they don't have the opportunity of getting an electoral foothold. And that's why all this nonsense that they're going on with is is so irritating, you know, and, and it's a glimpse of what they want. They want to impose minority values, extremist values, over a majority of people who don't share them. And what makes them dangerous is when those people can't get purchase in a democracy because of democratic safeguards, their head-upness, their 
excitability, you know, the sensationalist propaganda that they consume makes them likely to think about ways to impose power in other ways. And I get very concerned based on the research that I've done that it may only take one of them to engage in an act of extreme political violence. And that's why we have to be outspoken and vigilant and stand up for majority values. And absolutely, when lockdowns end, if these people hit the streets again, I will be in the streets opposing them and I would certainly encourage everyone who listens to this show, everyone who they know, to take a stand against these people and scare them back into the slime holes they come from. Well, I think I want to tie this up because I think that's an excellent, excellent point. We need people to stand up against this and, you know, we've got a new Premier in New South Wales who people have described as being from the hard right, uh, being being of the right wing. Uh, we've talked about his his cultural values, the minority positions that he holds. We've talked about his connection to the US Republican Party. We've talked about the extremists in the US Republican Party using Australia as theatre for their own political their own political show. There needs to be there needs to be some pressure applied, in my view, to Premier Perrottet to disavow to disavow these sorts of actions, to disavow these sorts of imposing positions on the majority. Hopefully, hopefully we'll see that the youngest Premier in New South Wales history does some rapid maturing and realises that he has to represent the majority views, which are not far-right views, not even in New South Wales. So, Van, let's finish on some good news because in WA they're going to be protecting some forests, and I think this is great news for us to end the show on. Oh, they're not just protecting forests. They're protecting all of them. It's I cried when I found this out. Like, I literally cried. So they're, they're protecting just vast swathes of land. They've got a forestry management plan that's going to end logging of native forests. And this is, I'd just like to reinforce this to everybody, this is entirely a Labor government in Western Australia that's done this, right? The Greens have had no role in this. The Greens have no power in Western Australia. The it's thanks to the McGowan victory, like thumping victory in the lower and the upper house, this is entirely Labor-owned decision. And they've done the work. So they've identified that there are 9,000 hectares of extremely precious forest that will just be protected immediately. Uh, The rest of the protection against native forest logging is going to be part of a staged and managed plan that looks at transitional opportunities for workers in forestry that redeploys jobs within forestry for people. There's $50 million behind uh, transition plans and they've just made the argument to the people forests are life, forests are what we need to protect us from climate change, forests are carbon pumps, there are jobs in forestry that can be managed in a sustainable way. They're planting 50 million pine trees to encourage a sustainable timber industry it's just, it's like there's a $350 million investment over the next 10 years to support the softwood plantations. And I'm just like, I can't believe this happened. Like, I genuinely can't believe it. Like, it's so important and just represents, like, just represents 
mature government and future thinking and future planning and 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 protecting like the most precious resource we have in this country which is our land and our forests and our natural resources and it's it's incredible like i just i i i'm a fan of the west australian government not without criticism when criticism is due but this just i seriously i got news about it on the internet burst into tears we can we can hear it in your voice but <sighs> i think it's excellent news and it's also it's also makes the point that we can transition our industries with proper funding, with proper research, with consultation, with engagement, with a proper timeline. You know, we we don't have to destroy communities in order to preserve the the things that those communities need, right? Like clean air and clean water and clean land. We can actually, we can have it all. We can have it all might not be right now it might not be exactly as we want it but we can have it all if we do the work and we put a bit of faith in each other to be honest actors and act honestly and that's and, and the democratic the, way yeah and when it comes to the environment momentum built like i think about the marriage equality campaign you know and 10 years before the vote any like people in the most progressive and hardcore political communities were like, oh, that'd be awesome, but it's never going to happen. But people just kept fighting and kept making the arguments. And really the leadership of the marriage equality campaign showed people how it's done. You keep going. Democracy is about the accumulation of thin slices. You don't win all the people from the outset. You build the argument, you build the values, you just keep going and you look at how you can change institutions and affect influence. And And part of it is just convincing people that these things are possible and things like forestry protection in WA and we can do it, we can transition, that leads to people to believe in transitions in other industries, you know, that leads to people to think, you know, there's actually there's an industrial capacity around protection and preservation and sustainability and we can do it because we've seen it happen here. There can be a legislative will, there can be stakeholders who are involved in decisions and that gains pace like you make a decision like that and it changes the culture. You say these, these hectares and hectares and hectares of forests are precious. They define who we are. These trees represent our heritage and they represent our future and they represent our survival. That becomes the values that people carry on. And, you know, it's just it's starting. It's not It's if you want the world, you have to start with the square metre in front of you. That's right. And not, journey, and not single step. Yeah, exactly. So it's made is, me really happy. That's great. Look, you this know what is I'm great. like with trees. Tree gets cut down in our street, and I'm in tears and yeah, calling the actually, council. Yeah, so. On the phone to the council, we had it happen, folks. <laughs> Look, I think that's a really good uh, note to end the week on Wednesday. This week, I want to thank everybody who listened to the weekend wrap. You know, we're still blown away by the growth in listeners, and it's because of you. It's because you're sharing the show. Um, I want to give a big shout out once again to our friends at On the Job, uh, Francis Leach and Sally Rugg, who had me on a couple of weeks ago. Good uh, eggs, they're good fan. eggs. You know, they've they've been doing the interviews and talking to the healthcare workers who are really at the front line of COVID. So do check out their podcast, onthejobpodcast.com.au. We will post links to that. But you can 
please do share this podcast. You know, if you found the issues that we've discussed interesting, if you think there are people in your community, in your family, at your workplace who need to know more about this, do share the podcast. Do get in contact with us. I know that I don't always get back to people straight away, but we will endeavor to get back to everybody as best we can. We appreciate your patience with that. And thank you so much. Congratulations too to everyone who's joined their union after listening to our uh, podcast. The Week on Wednesday is very proud that uh, so many, so many listeners have joined their union, got involved, become active members of their union, become delegates, health and safety reps. Oh, and we love it when you tell us. We just get so happy. That's really what we do it for. You know, we love being part of the union family and it's an experience it's an experience of you know inclusion and welcome and purpose and pride like that we just want everybody to share That's like right. you're never alone if you're in the movement you know your family grows exponentially you're never standing there looking for a cause to believe in you've got something that you know powers your heart and you know that campaign for justice for fairness it's it's life sustaining it really is so until the week, the weekend wrap and next week's week on Wednesday, we will say goodbye. Love you, Vanny. I love you too. I'm so emotional. <laughs> Bye. Look after the dog. Bye.